It was the 11th year of Judah's 22nd king. This is fascinating. As we begin to study this, we learn that something is not right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemby. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are reading the Bible. This is the book that God has published for us, uh, that we have translations to. The Lord is talking to us. The question is, are we listening? And we'll be listening today. We'll be trying to listen today as we continue to study that. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's up? Well, in these last two chapters of 2 Kings, we read a lot about this enemy king, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. So today, you and I are going to be giving him a historical biography. Ryan? Today, a question. Was King Jehoiachin released from prison on the 25th day of the 12th month, as the prophet Jeremiah records, or was he released on the 27th day of the 12th month, as 2 Kings says? Very good question. Janice, what did we do? Today, famine in the land. Second Kings 25, verses 8 through 21. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the firepans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, and the carts, which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was eighteen cubits, and the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same, with a network. And the captain of the guard took Sareah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land 
who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. 2 Kings chapter 25 verses 8 through 21. Second Kings chapter 24, chapter 25, two chapters today as we continue to read through the Bible, God's wonderful word. You know, it was the 11th year of Judah's 22nd king. His name was Zedekiah. He was an evil king. You know, Zedekiah resisted the Babylonians whom God had chosen to discipline Judah for their evil acts. There are more details in the Chronicles, which we will begin reading tomorrow. The Chronicles will go over the history of Israel and Judah from a, a priestly perspective. But the dismantling of God's temple and the priesthood is highlighted today. Now, the Lord did not shut them down because he desired to. God had put up with a great deal of sin, and the time was up. And this is how we know the Bible is not a book of propaganda. It doesn't simply push to promote his people. It is committed to telling the truth about what is right and what is wrong in the eyes of God. And if you've ever paid attention to the Bible, nobody ever seems to quote this part of the Bible. But if you ever paid attention to the Bible, you'll see that this is a very dark time for God's people. Now, there are other dark times, and this is a dark time, and it, it's always a problem when God's people get away from God's word. It's always a problem for everybody. Uh, take out your Bible guide, and let's turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, why not? We'll send it to you. Call us or write to us, or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. By the way, thank you for your donations. We very much appreciate them. But it's important that you understand, and by the way, thank you for your donations. They really are important. We really thank you. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch people who've given and bless them today and help them more. But this is important that when you go to the page, it says PDF files, and you download it as it's printed, you're seconds away from the fall of the temple. Seconds away from reading about this in 2 Kings chapter 25. Now let's pray. Father, today help us to understand that the fall of the temple, this is not a wonderful time where we can just praise the Lord for everything. We always praise the Lord, yes. But this is a time when we consider what went wrong. They moved away from the covenant of the word of God. They moved away from the Bible. And Lord, I pray today that we would not. I pray that we would get back to the Bible. I pray that we would return to the word of God. Help us, Lord. This is so important today. You've made a way for us to do that right now. And help us to do that, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. 2 Kings 25, verse 8 says, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. There it is. It's all there. 
Nebuzadaran, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord. Did you get that? He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem. That is all the houses of the great he burned with fire and all of the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around them. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of destruction happening here at the king's order. Nebuzadaran brought destruction to everything of any significance in Jerusalem. You see, God is perfect when he chooses discipline. God is perfect when he chooses discipline. This is one thing the Bible talks about and gives us how the Lord disciplines so that we can see it. So that's important. Now, this scripture is very important. Let's not separate it. So we'll go further. Second Kings chapter 25, verses 11 through 17. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the people or some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. Interesting. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, the cart and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried with the bronze, their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priest ministered, the fire pans and the basins and the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. Verse 16 says, the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all of these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital on, on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and the pomegranates all around the capital were all bronze. And the second pillar was the same with a network. Now, can, can you... Can, to, you have to understand this. This is amazing. Nebuchadnezzar took away the elements of God or the elements God had created through his people. The Lord allowed this to happen. The Lord does not destroy his true worship. So what does that mean? Does that mean God is no longer worshiped? Not at all. That means that God doesn't need the things, the trappings and the little toys and trinkets to worship. Worship is from the heart, beloved. God saves us and our hearts turn and change. And that's what we need to do. We need to turn our hearts towards God. We need to worship the Lord in truth with our hearts. Very important. Now 18 to 21 says, And the captain of the guard took Sarai, the chief priest, and Zephani, and the second priest, and the three doorkeepers, and he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war. 
Five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting the officers of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people and of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And then the king of Babylon, what he did, he struck them and he put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. Can you believe that? Nebuchadnezzar took, a, took men from God's temple to Babylon and killed them. Now our future is bleak unless we keep right with God. Our future is zero. Nothing. Unless we keep our hearts right with God. Righteousness and justice. Right with God and then treat man like we want to be treated. That's righteousness and justice. That's, those are the two things that God desires. Now think about that as we continue on in the program. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. In these last few chapters of 2 Kings, we read a lot about Nebuchadnezzar, this enemy king who is really uh, controlling the last few kings of Judah and Jerusalem. But of course, that doesn't go well. And when they rebel, Nebuchadnezzar marches and takes Jerusalem. Let's take a look at him. The Bible's portrayal of the Neo-Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting one. From the perspective of the people living in Judah and Jerusalem, he was a fearsome and war-savvy enemy to whom the prophets of God said they must bow one way or the other. To the first wave of noble exiles that were trained in his courts, Nebuchadnezzar was their new king, and he's portrayed in ways that demonstrate his pride, anger, and eventually how he was humbled with a bout of what today would be labeled as mental illness. The Bible also mentions Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian building projects, specifically as a source of pride for this ancient king. In the history recorded outside of the Bible, we see a similar picture emerge with even more detail. Nebuchadnezzar II was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. With military might and strong alliances, these two men led Babylon to decisive military victories over the dominant Assyrian Empire. Eventually, they completely destabilized it, defeating its leaders and taking its place as the new world power of the ancient Near East. When Nebuchadnezzar took the throne, he solidified his power by crushing rebellions and taking his place as the shepherd of the city of Babylon. This meant that he launched huge building campaigns, funded, no doubt, by the spoils of his warfare. And the city of Babylon became a major project. Babylon's main deities were Marduk and Nebo. And one of Nebuchadnezzar's finest building achievements was the rebuilding and refurnishing of their temple structures. He restored the great ziggurat of Babylon that's often associated with the Tower of Babel, and he rebuilt the temple of Marduk. 
Nebuchadnezzar also fixed the canal of the Euphrates that passed through the city and a large processional bridge to facilitate the yearly festival and procession celebrating Marduk's victory and order. Nebuchadnezzar built the inner and outer walls of Babylon, his large palace, and various temples, shrines, idols, and public buildings. This is the background for his boast of being Babylon's creator recorded in Daniel 4. Also notable are the many inscriptions Nebuchadnezzar left behind. Many are dedication inscriptions that he always seems to have ended with prayer. His prayers are noteworthy for his purposeful, humble approach. A king who owes all of his success to Marduk and the gods, a worshiper who wants peace, protection, and to serve the god he's addressing. Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar II founded what may rightly be called the world's first museum. In a wing of his palace, he displayed artifacts from captured nations, objects excavated from ancient civilizations, inscriptions, statues, and some of his own commissioned work. He opened this collection to be viewed by the public. It testified to all of his supposed worthiness to protect and rule mankind. It's always interesting to take a look at these uh, pagan kings that interact with Judah and her kings. It's always really informative to know the, the rest of the story because otherwise Nebuchadnezzar is just this ominous name. Now, of course, we, we do have a little bit more because as we continue reading through the scripture, we're going to have the benefit of other people who knew Nebuchadnezzar. So he's going to be coming into the, into the scriptures again. So it's really helpful to know historically who he was, what he was all about, so that we have that context for when we see his, his character being revealed throughout the Bible. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is such an interesting guy. I, I suspect he's in heaven. I suspect because of Daniel 4, but we'll, we'll, we'll no, see. We're not going to go through this again. <laughs> we're not going to go through it again. <laughs> I know this where this conversation is going to go. <laughs> All right, Ryan, go ahead. All right, well, today I'm dealing with a supposed inconsistency in the Bible regarding King Jehoiachin. And here's the problem. 2 Kings 25, 27 records that Jehoiachin was released from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month. But Jeremiah 52:31 claims he was released on the 25th day of the 12th month. So which is it? Well, let's try to find out. Bible skeptics attribute many errors, contradictions, and inconsistencies to the Holy Scriptures, claiming that it really is not the Word of God as it repeatedly claims. One of these supposed errors has to do with the date of King Jehoiakim's release from prison. In Jeremiah 52:31 we read that it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 25th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. However, 2 Kings 25:27 records that in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. Many believe these passages to be contradictory, since they seemingly report two different days for Jehoiakim's release from prison. While Jeremiah records the 25th day of the month, 2 Kings records the 27th day. Many believe this to be a simple copyist mistake. However, when we examine these passages closely, we discover that there is actually no contradiction whatsoever. On the contrary, when these passages are taken together, they actually give more detail than might be expected. 
Pay attention to the details. Jeremiah says that on the 25th day of the month, the king of Babylon lifted up the head of Jehoiakim and brought him out of prison. While well, 2 Kings records that on the 27th day of the month, the king released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. When we look at these passages closely, we realize that on the 25th day of the month, a decree was given to release Jehoiakim. However, he was not actually freed until two days later. It is obvious from the text that just as is the practice today, the orders had to be verified and paperwork had to be filed. And two days is not an unreasonable amount of time for this process. So as you can see, this discrepancy can be easily resolved. One reasonable solution is to understand Jeremiah's record as the day that the decree was given for Jehoiachin's release, while taking 2 Kings as the record of the actual day that he physically walked out of prison. And as I said in the segment, even today when someone is released from prison, it takes time to process that order and get all the paperwork filed. And two days really isn't unreasonable. Now, another solution is that a simple copyist mistake has been made in one of the passages. And for an explanation on why a copyist error isn't a true biblical error, please watch yesterday's episode of Bible Discovery, where I explain it in some detail. Personally, in all my research over the years, my confidence in the Bible as God's Word has only grown. Yeah, it's and mine too, Ryan. It's really interesting. And... Uh, when you think about the time differences between the Kings and Samuel, and the Kings were written and then the Chronicles were written, you begin to understand how is it possible that there are more errors, mm -hmm. and uh, yet, yet the Holy Spirit has kept it pretty consistent. So yeah, that's for sure. Good. Thank you for that. Janice? Famine in the Land was what I, I titled my segment today. We're taking a look at 2 Kings chapter 25, and this chapter is about the fall and the captivity of Judah. And very early on in that chapter, verses 3 and 4, I was struck by something uh, in a new way when I read this chapter. Here's what it says. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through. And I thought about famine and how that the enemy can use that famine to come against who they're trying to come against. The enemy was trying to capture Judah, and the technique here was to bring famine, and eventually to bring the people out that they would be dying. There was famine, and they succeeded. I wanna to say to us, don't let the enemy, and I'm talking about Satan, create a famine in you or create a famine in me. How would he be able to do that? By whispering in our ear about we're not good enough for God. We've done too many things that are wrong. God could never love you. God could never love me. You're not good enough. Or perhaps it's just by other things, circumstances hard circumstances, trouble that come into your life. And the enemy too says, oh, you see, just you're, you're being punished for this or you're being punished for that. There are so many different ways. He can also make us come into a time of famine by distracting us, by us not spending time in the Lord's word, by not spending time in prayer, by not going to church anymore, 
by making little compromises here and little compromises there. And oftentimes we don't even realize how far away we've drifted. You know, I don't know if you've ever sat in a boat sometimes and, and you're just sitting there and if you don't have the anchor down and you're just enjoying the scenery, all of a sudden you look around and you realize how far you've actually floated in the water and you haven't even felt it. Sometimes things in life can do that to us as well. We can drift away from God and there can be a famine in our hearts and in our life. Don't let the enemy do that. Don't let the enemy bring you to a famine. You know what Jesus said? He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That is our way of never being in famine. And of course, I'm talking about a spiritual famine. I'm talking about the way our spirits are, our spiritual being, that we can have life and life more abundantly. It's not by how much we can do and how strong we are and what a good person that we are. No, it's because we ask the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of our hearts, to be the Lord of our life, to forgive us of our sin, to help our minds to follow him, to be in his word, to learn, and to be obedient to that, to not just know his word, but to do his word, to apply it to our lives. And he will do that. He is the bread of life. And everyone that comes to him will never hunger and will never thirst. So don't let the enemy separate you from him. And sometimes we're our own worst enemy, aren't we? We can make every excuse in the book. We can say everything that we want, but let's not do that. Let's be honest with God. We can't hide from him. Let's be honest and ask him to help us, to help us in these times, and he will. Don't let yourself become in a famine. Go to the bread of life and the I, living water. And I think that's important because it's uh, in, in these social media times, you know, we're so used to casting out, you know, he's wrong, he's wrong, I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it, he's wrong, he's wrong. And yet the Bible says, look at yourself. The Bible says, look inside of you and don't let your heart be drifting away. I love that analogy, Janice, Um, sitting in a boat and just drift with the current because the current naturally flows towards sin. Very, very good. Thank you for joining us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday live from 3.30 to 4.30, where we talk about exactly what God wants to do through prayer meetings. And we invite you to come there and be a part of it. Very exciting to have you there. But today we need to pray. Lord, I pray today and, and I thank you and I praise you with all my heart for who you are and what you've done for me. Help me to return and to stay close to you in Jesus' name.